Yes, you are, Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Can we get a loud rejoice in this place today? Come on. Give it up for Jesus. Wow. Powerful. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so heartfelt and deep and rejoiceful. Today is the third week of Advent. It's also called, and forgive me if I murder this in Latin, Gaudate. That means rejoice in Latin. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So I'm going to teach you guys a little something today. So when I say God is good, you say, there we go. So God is good? And all the time? There we go. You all can have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning and welcome to church. This is my favorite place to be on a Sunday. I love being here. And this is a beautiful setting. The house is full. We're going to be full later. And we're going to be filled even more from worship with the Word of God. Pastor Derek is back with us. Can we get a round of applause? We love you guys. Welcome to church. For those of you who are newer with us today, if this is your first time here, welcome. Thank you for joining us online as well. Now, at the back of the sanctuary, we have our info table. That is where you can receive a gift from us to you, from our family to yours, as a special way of saying thank you for being here today with us. Also, after service in the back room, right over there, is our photo booth. For those of you who took advantage last week, I saw some of the photos. They're amazing. So if you didn't get a chance to do the photo booth last week, take a walk into that back room right there and go ahead and do that after service. Now, this Sunday, as we know, we have our wonderful Sunday lunch. So hang out and stay with us. Next Sunday at 6 p.m. is our student Christmas party. That's going to be a great time. If you've never been to a student Christmas party, you're missing out. They party like there's no other. Next Sunday, they're going to do that with all their friends. So guys, gals, invite your friends, please. Six o'clock, free food, prizes, ugly Christmas sweater contest. You're also going to have a gingerbread making house contest. I don't know. My money's on you to win that. I don't know. I don't know. But I think he's willing to give up the prize. So come on out next Sunday. After that is our wonderful, beloved Christmas Eve celebration. What this entire season is all about. What the candles represent. The coming of Jesus Christ. And the reminder he's coming back again. That should give us joy. That true joy that lasts no matter what is in our life. Now there's a couple ways you can partner here with Reach Church. Some local, some outside of there, outside of the world. On the tables, you'll see a little card that talks about Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope is a wonderful international ministry that goes into the darkest places of people's lives. Natural disaster, man-made disaster, they're there. Fires, you name it. They're bringing hope, life, practical money, food, clothing, things like that. So will you consider giving to Convoy of Hope? On the third Sunday of Advent, Around the world, most Christians consider it a Sunday to be extra giving. So, please, check out the information on your desks. And then if you want to partner with Reach Church for whatever God has placed in your heart, you can go online or to our Church Center app. Our Church Center app really is the crux of everything we do here. 
for information, for content, and communication. So please, if you haven't downloaded the Reach Church Center app, do so today. Now, why don't we take a few minutes, speak around the table, tell people what you are so joyful about and what makes you rejoice this Sunday morning. Have a great day. morning. Everybody seems to be really happy. Y'all happy? Y'all joyful? I just want to say that I am so thankful for all of our members, for our team. Uh, man, do they love on the Lord. Amen. It's, it's not hard to grow into the throne room of God when you have a worship team that doesn't hesitate. They just press in and, and just uh, really lead us in there. What I'm really blessed with, though, is to watch the response of the congregation. Worship's not achieved until we all come into that place of unity and exalt the name of God together. When we sang that uh, phrase, hallelujah, how many of you know what that means? Shout it out if you know what it means. Exuberant praise to the Lord. You can say joyful praise to the Lord when we're singing that phrase, hallelujah, we are declaring our joy in the Lord. And when we do that together in unity, it's not a shocking thing that God comes in, in all of his presence. I sit up here and, and uh, anybody that knows me well, I hate to cry. Come on, men, are you with me? Lord, do I. I just, it, it just seems to wreck me in my feeling of masculinity. Come on. To be vulnerable. But I want you to know that when you get vulnerable with God... He will come and he, he will just manifest in such a way that, that all your fears and anxieties and, and all the concerns that you have. You know, I'm a, a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, pastoring the church. And you think about responsibility and you carry responsibility. And, and there are just concerns that can rise up. Like, I want to do well at all of those things. But in the midst of that, what I heard is I heard the Lord to be, begin to sing into my heart, because it's one thing to, to worship him and sing to him, but there's this term in the scriptures that we hear about, the O'Day. Say O'Day. Song of the Lord. Do you know what that is? That's when God sings over you. That's when he begins to sing over you. It's us singing to him, but all of a sudden it's like all of heaven. It's like God the Father begins to express through singing. It's what we'd also call prophetic song, that we're hearing the voice of God and what he's speaking to the church, that the spirit of God speaks to the church. And, 
And I don't know that I could do it justice because, you know, as the keyboard was playing, it was easy to hear those words and the flow of it. But it was kind of like this, you know, um, I am watching over you. And I'm going to try this, and it may be a little awkward, but let me do my best. And it kind of went, I am watching over you. Close your eyes and hear those words. I am watching over you. The worry you carry, the concerns you live in, will you let them go? I am watching over you. Now again, it flowed a little better with the keyboard playing. And I'm not a, I'm not a singer, but I kind of wanted to do it a little bit of justice in the sense that it was a song that I felt the Lord singing not just over me, but over the congregation. He is our good shepherd. There's never a moment in your life that you're out of his watchful eye. He knows right where you're at. He knows your ups and downs. He knows your struggles and your battles. He knows your failures and your successes. But understand that as a good shepherd, he's watching over you. And if there's anything that should give us joy, it's to know that we're not on our own. Come on, somebody. You're not on your own. The Lord is there. He's watching over you, and he wants to help you. So before I get into the message I prepared that I felt the Lord spoke, I felt it was important to speak what I sensed the Holy Holy Spirit speaking prophetically over us as his people. And so whatever those things are, as you go into this Christmas season, Begin to lay those things at the altar, at the feet of Jesus. He died on the cross, right? He said to take his yoke, it was easy, and that his burden was light. That all you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me, Christ. And he said he would give us, come on, can anybody finish that statement? Rest. I don't know about you, but work and travel and all those things that you can do. I got back in and when I was finishing up my message Yesterday, typing out you know, all the notes I'd written, you know, flying on the plane and all that kind of stuff. I had to get them transcribed, and I've been in all kinds of meetings with the national office at, at Open Bible, and, and I got in, and Angie's sitting there. Um, how many of you build puzzles during Christmas season? Angie's going from puzzle to puzzle. She's working on her puzzle. I'm there, and I'm typing out my notes, and, and I'm nodding off while I'm typing, and I'm trying to stay awake, and she goes, go take a nap. I said, nope, I got to get this off so they can load it into the presentation and uh i'm telling you there was a couple moments i'm like got one eye open trying to (laughs) anybody ever done that and you can get tired but i'm telling you as i worked through this message um even though i was tired i was filled with joy and rest it's a different kind your body can be so tired but yet your mind and your heart can be in perfect rest and joy amen and if there's anything i hope for you because the Christmas season doesn't necessarily come with uh, a lot of rest. Come on, parents. <laughs> you come out of the holidays and you think, I need a holiday. <laughs> Don't get so uh, bogged down in the hustle and bustle of all the things you got to do. To not take moments with the Lord and just appreciate him for the fact that he's watching over you. He loves you with an everlasting love. 
And so this morning, as we celebrate the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of joy, we've been in a series called The Greatest Gift. Christ is our greatest gift, and with him comes all these other gifts, right? Let me say this, kids, your mom and dad are the greatest gift in your life because all those gifts you're going to get on Christmas Day, they're the ones, you know, they're taking care of you and making sure all the food's there and all the, the fun is going on and you get all these presents to open up. They're part of the reason for that, amen? And so uh, don't lose sight uh, in the midst of the Christmas season of the joy that Christ wants you to celebrate and just like our children get to enjoy all the work we've done, know that Christ on the cross did all the work for you. That great gift that he is, he's the one that did the work so you could enjoy everything that comes with it. It's an inheritance and not just a small one, it's a full one. It's an extraordinary inheritance that Christ secured for us on the cross, amen? You heard this scripture, I believe it was in the Message Bible that it was read by uh, Lindsay, but today I want to read it again to you out of Luke 2, 8 through 11, the story of, of course, the shepherds who are keeping watch over their sheep and, and the angels coming and bringing a message to them. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were greatly afraid then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ our Lord. I want you to know that's the first scripture that my son Wade memorized when he was a little kid. I think he was about six years old. And he had, you know, the, the school he was in, he had to memorize certain scriptures. And I remember when he quoted this scripture to me, I was just like, that's awesome, you know? It's really awesome when you see your kids grab a hold of the word of God like that. And it brought me great joy when he declared the good tidings the angels brought to the shepherds. He is a little boy, a six-year-old boy, brought that message to his father, seeing it formed in him brought that message to me, declared that message to me. I might've known it, but I gotta tell you, it was like I was hearing it for the first time. Come on, parents. When you hear the word of God come out of your children like that, and it brought great joy to my heart, and not just any kind of joy, but the joy of the Lord, that I knew that God was doing things in my son. See, words have a huge impact on us. Good tidings is what it said. What's good tidings? It's bringing a good word. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, it's a good word, right? It's not a sad word. It's a good word. It, it's sad that Jesus went to the cross for us, but understand this. The Bible says that it was the joy that was set before him. The Bible says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Say endured. He had the ability to walk through all of that because he kept his eyes set on the joy that was before him. And that joy, when you go around this room and every other church meeting and anyone that would give their heart to the Lord and accept his sacrifice in their place, that was the joy that Christ had his eyes set on when he was enduring the cross. I'm going to teach you something today. You know that uh, most of what Jesus said was in the language, the Aramaic language. Did you know that? 
We know about the Hebrew language, right? We know the Greek language, but you, you understand that Jesus, he spoke in Aramaic. Did you guys know that? So I'm going to teach you something today and you're, you're liable to be like, well, wait a second. I don't think we should use that word. And we'll, we'll know when we get there. So you ready? I want you to say um, word. Now I want you to say create. Now I want you to say abracadabra. Aramaic. Now I know that we see musician, or musicians, musicians use that word. And it's like, oh, that's magic. We shouldn't. Well, let me say that, that could it be that, that the works of darkness try to claim the principles of God? Because even the devil recognizes the power of words. And that when we understand the power of words and, and we know that the word that we speak creates, how often do we see the situations in our life and, and repeating those situations, those circumstances, the hardships, and we, we let those things flow out of our mouth. And what happens is, is we just continue to compound upon the problem because we are speaking words that continue to create that situation. When what we ought to do is abracadabra. Come on. We had to abracadabra some joy in our life. Come on. We need to speak some words of joy in our life and stop. Uh, how many of you ever watched Winnie the Pooh growing up? I got to tell you, Tigger was always my favorite. Come bouncing on the scene. Woo! <laughs> right? Now, I'm a little more like Winnie the Pooh, I think. I'm a realist. <laughs> but I'll do. I love Tiggers. I love people who can just bring energy and joy. If you don't know, Levi and Vanessa live with us, and that young man living in our house is just like a constant, that's just what Tiggers do. <laughs> Vanessa's a little more like her pup father. She can be a little more like Winnie the Pooh. But oh, dear Lord, do we uh, all strive to stay away from Eeyores. Because, man, they can suck your joy away. If you're sitting in here today and you know that you've got a little more of an Eeyore attitude, I just want um, to encourage you. Abracadabra that situation, man. Right? Speak some creative words of joy. Hang around the tigger. Get irritated with them. Like, I can't stand. They always are in joy. Even when things seem to be falling apart in our life, how do they bring joy with them? Because that's the way God gifted them. And oh, don't, don't we thank him for those gifts in the body of Christ and in our families so that, right, we can't get down in the dumps and just hang out there. They pick us up. They encourage us. I'm thankful for those people. I got to tell you right now, um, one of the, the most uh, inspiring, joyful people, I've, I could say two of them, and it's interesting, they come from the same family. But when I think of, we have a preschool, a Christian preschool and daycare back here and and anywhere from 70 to 80 kids in that. Um, but uh, we had hired uh, Dominique uh, quite a while ago. Uh, we call her Dom. But she just always had this way of coming in. Even when something's falling apart, Dom's like, you know, upbeat. I'm like, man, how did she do that? And then when she got married and stuff, Kat started coming around and started coming to the church. If you, do you all know Kat? Have you ever been around her? Have you ever felt a tigger mulling around her? And so getting around her, you know, she starts helping and serving. And it's like, you know, we needed a new assistant. I needed a new executive assistant. And I'm like, man, you know what? Because I can be like Winnie the Pooh, I'd love to have a Tigger. 
When I come in and it's like, hey, pastor, we got this problem, we got this problem, we got this problem, we got to deal with this, we got to deal with that. And I'm like, I just want to go back home. <laughs> Cat, hey, what do you need me to do? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, we can do this, man. <laughs> she just brings such a joyful spirit with her. I am, God, am I grateful for that? And there's many of you in this church that also bring that, you know. Um, and that's not to diminish anyone, but I tell you this. God has not called us to dwell in sorrows and depression and despair. He really sent his son to die on that cross to lift us up, gave the greatest gift so that we could also have the gift of joy that comes through Christ. Amen. Amen. So Christmas is often referred to as that magical time. You'll hear people, oh, it's just such a magical time. Well, abracadabra, man. <laughs> But I would tell you that it's more a divine time. It's not a magical time as much as it is a divine time. That we encounter the wonders. And while we may see the twinkling lights and all those things and it just be like, oh, it's so. We'll know the greatest light that ever shone into the world was Jesus Christ. We'll learn more about that on Christmas Eve. And remember, just a commercial, Christmas Eve is not in the evening this year because it falls on a Sunday. Uh, that happens every five years. So remember... Say, remember, Pastor. Okay, I know you're paying attention, so here's the deal. It's Sunday morning this year. And every five years, what we'll do is we'll celebrate Christmas Eve and the candlelight service on Sunday morning. And it just gives you a little more time with your family. When it falls during the middle of the week, we're going back to the evening because there's just something special about that too. Amen? So those of you who love tradition and are like, why are they changing that? We're just trying to be loving on the body and let our volunteers have some extra time with their family rather than do a morning Christmas Eve and an evening Christmas Eve. Because you know there's a bunch of people here that serve one another. Many of you are in that group and it's kind of like, oh, thank God, that'll be so awesome. And we want, we're not here to burden or burn out or wear the saints out. We're here to see you filled with life so that life can flow from you as you serve others. Amen. So here's what I want to do this morning when you think about that word abracadabra, and I'll leave it at this moment in a sense, but I want you to kind of keep it resonating in there that your words create. And if you will, at Christmas time, we hear it said, and we sang it in the song, that you'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That the name Emmanuel is spoken, and all of a sudden, God is manifest in human form, born. And laid in that manger for the purpose that we might be able to live the life that Christ was able to live. I know it is a challenge. I know it's a journey. I know that there's ups and there's downs. But I submit to you this. If you can grab a hold of the joy of Christ, there is nothing that you can't have victory over. There's nothing that you can't overcome. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ came so that you can be an overcomer. Amen? And so I want to give you three characteristics of the joy of Jesus this morning. Number one, the joy of Jesus is cognitive. Say cognitive. Yeah, I'm going to give you the definition just because. Cognitive of relating to, being, or involving conscious intellectual activity such as thinking, reasoning, or remembering. When I start to feel like my joy is diminishing or being stolen... What happens is, is I'm actually in a place of I'm, I'm 
I am moving away from remembering everything that Christ did for me. I'm not thinking on the right things. And therefore, what happens is, is the joy of the Lord can begin to drain or wane from my life. But if I can set my mind on things above rather than things beneath, come on, somebody. By the way, that's in the Bible. Meditate on those things, right? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And if I can really think on the greatest gift, if I can think on Jesus, here's what begins to happen. My perspective of that situation changes. Why? Because abracadabra, it's not magical, it's divine, and the divine begins to manifest in my life, and it begins to change my attitude. Psalm 71 and 23 says, my lips will shout for joy. When I sing praises to you, my soul, somebody say mind, will, and emotions. My soul also, which you have redeemed. See, when I start thinking about the redemption of the Lord, when I think about the salvation of the Lord, everything that he's done for me, my lips don't just come up with that. What happens is, is my soul aligns with everything that God has done for me and it manifests in the way that I think. By the way, it's not just in your mind that you think, but the Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. When I begin to think with my heart and my mind and my heart and my mind align with heaven, the divine nature of God and all that he did for me. Uh, it just, what's this situation? I become a little more like David and I see that situation. It might look like a giant, but who is this, right, situation? Uncircumcised Philistine that defies the living God. In other words, that is not going to defy what God says over me. And I begin to rise up as an overcomer. And I don't just do that with, oh, I guess I got to do this. Oh, no, I get to do it. There is great joy in following the Lord. Amen. Here's what not, Psalm 94 and 19. No, don't put it up here yet. I'm sorry. Don't put that up here yet. I'm going to say this because in our society, there's a term that we hear a lot. And some of you may even deal with this in your own life. And that's okay. We're, we're in certain places and situations in life. But you also see culture formed from focusing on the problem rather than the solution. And let me say this. The, problem, the main problem of mankind that all problems stem from is sin. And Jesus came and died on the cross to conquer sin. So the solution, or if you will, in the redemption that I just read about, in that redemption comes great joy because I know that there is nothing too hard for Jesus to overcome. Therefore, if I can focus on him, he'll help me overcome this situation in my life. And here, now we'll read it. Psalm 94, 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Cognitive. The joy of Jesus is cognitive, that basically I think on what I think on as a man thinks in his heart. So is if I think on those anxious things and I, and I muse or meditate that over and over and over, if I think on that negative thought or I think on that anger or the thing I'm angry about or I process that over and over and over again, I am rehearsing, I am rehearsing something. I am abracadabbering that. I am declaring a word that creates in my life when Christ died on the cross so I would have a different word. Come on, somebody say good tidings. 
<laughs> that if I think on the good tidings of God through Jesus Christ, that what happens is, is all of a sudden that anxiety can begin to dissipate. What's it say? It was great within me. Your consolation brought me joy. What that's saying is, is my anxiety went away and I was filled with joy. Why? Because of the consolation. Say counsel. Say words. That as I'm listening to what the Lord has to say about me, about the situation, that I am hearing a different word. God, all of a sudden, the divine interacting with me is creating in me a different mindset and can I say a difference feeling in my soul, mind, will, emotions? And my will is asserted according to the way I think and the way I feel. All of us. And most of us give in to the way we feel. Now, let me, let me be a good pastor to you right now. I know that some of you, how many are done with your Christmas shopping? Ooh, a few of you. How many still got to go Christmas shopping? Somebody say anxiety. Anxiety. <laughs> And you know the anxiety that's going to come after Christmas if you run your credit cards up and spend money you don't really have. Okay, I won't be your pastor right now. I'll just go back to the message and be your preacher. Don't do stuff that you know is going to bring you anxiety. It's going to bring you worry. Live within your means. Teach, teach your kids that they can't have everything they want when they want it. Because if you give them everything they want when they want it, <laughs> There's a whole lot of want going to be there. Make good decisions. It really falls to discipline and obedience, and we'll get to that in a moment. The second characteristic of the joy of Jesus, the joy of Jesus is consistent. It's not here, then there. It's consistent. Consistent, unchanging in nature, standard, or effect over time. In other words, it's not this way one year and it's different the next. It's compatible or in agreement with something. And I will say that the joy of Jesus is compatible and in agreement with heaven. We sang about that it being in the earth as it is in heaven. If we could just really hear the words of God, what it would create, what it would abracadabra in us, is it would begin to manifest what heaven wants for us. And I promise you, right, Watch this. The blessing of God, the Bible says the blessing of God makes rich and adds no sorrow. <laughs> the blessing of God, not let me get everything I want and then, oh my gosh. Anybody ever bought something and went home and like, dang, why did I do that? You know what they call that? Warren, you were in car sales. What do they call that? Buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse. <laughs> let me tell you something. You're not buying Jesus. You're not buying what he offers you. He paid for it. The Bible says he's the propitiation for our sins, the purchase price. He paid for it. It doesn't cost you anything. But you do have to accept it to receive it. You've got to accept that great gift and then follow him because to live it out, he's the one that knows how it works. Know how it works. He knew how it works. He's the one that knows how it works. So follow him. Pick up your cross and follow him. Yeah, you might have to do life a little bit different, but trust me, it's going to be a whole lot more rewarding to you. This is what the psalmist said here in Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life in your presence. Say in your presence. Is fullness of joy. Not just a little bit. 
is fullness of joy in God's presence. So get in his presence. Just like we worshiped here today, so you know, you, you don't have to be together with all the saints to worship. This is, we need to do this, but I want you to know that I have as, as good a time worshiping God all alone as I do with the saints. It's a little different, but it's as joyful as being with you. Why? Because, oh, just to be in the presence of my Savior has a way of altering me like nothing else. I love my wife and I love being in her presence. And she may alter the way I think about certain things from time to time. Men, can I get an amen? <laughs> what were you thinking? I don't know. <laughs> well, that was stupid. She doesn't talk to me that way. Well, maybe once in a while. But I need it. But in God's presence as he speaks to me, that's what the psalmist was saying. I was filled with anxiety, but your consolation brought me great joy. Why? Because it's consistent. Every time I spend time with God, I'm not wondering like, okay, what is it going to be today? He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen. And what does it say? This fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not for a little bit, but forevermore. Psalm 51 and 12. Your help made me so happy. Come on, somebody. I'm so happy, 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 happy. You know that song? Again, I'm not a good singer, but give me that joy again. <laughs> Your help. Let me ask you, do you ask God for help? See, I don't know about you. I want the discipline of asking God for help before it's a problem. In other words, you've heard an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Hey, God, help me, instruct me in your ways so that I don't end up in a place where what I'm doing is, right, crying out for your help rather than requesting it on the front end. I'm crying out on, on the back end because things are going so bad. And I want you to know that your shepherd who watches over you wants to lead you that way. He wants to lead you. He'll come and rescue you, but how many of you know that no shepherd wants to be rescuing sheep all the time? See, there's, there's a few different types of sheep. We've talked about this definitely among the pastoral staff. And here's what we say. There's the sheep that are in the flock, man. They're like, I ain't going out there. Something might eat me. And then there's the sheep that walks the fence. Oh, man, I don't know. That grass looks pretty green over there. I wonder what it's like to go live out in the world versus live in right, the presence of God. Now walk the fence looking out. You know, the shepherds see those and it's like, oh, they're on the fence. You ever been on the fence in your decision to follow Christ? Have you ever had things of the world wanting to pull you after them versus staying in the things of God? I want you to know that on the other side of that fence, it's not better. It may look greener, but I want you to know the grass is green where you water it. If you will spend time with the Lord, I want you to know that you will have great pleasure in his kingdom, in his family. Your help made me so happy. Give me that joy again. Make my spirit strong and ready. Can somebody finish that? <laughs> Make my spirit strong and ready to obey you. To obey you. Now, I don't know about you, but that one right there for me is it's like, wow, 
So if I walk in obedience to the Lord, what happens is I'm going to experience greater joy in my life. Why? Because you can't, you can't remain under him and under his covering unless you're willing to listen to him and obey what he has to say to you. Not what I have to say to you. And not even like, well, let me get this list of things from the word. No man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. You could read the whole Bible and have the Logos, but my question is, do you have a rhema? Is God speaking and bringing that word to life in you? Because I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, anytime I've read the Bible and I hear the Holy Spirit quicken that to my spirit, what happens is, is now, not only have I read it, have I seen it, have I, I play, you know, uh, meditated on it and got it in my mind, but God has now quickened and brought that to life in me. And you know what? He doesn't have to convince me to be obedient. I want to. And there's a difference between being told to and desiring to be obedient. Amen? Number three. Oh, wait. i got to read that last one. Psalm 119 and 111. Your testimonies, words, are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Your testimony. So when I'm reading about all the people who believed in God and all the wonderful works and miracles and right, they got it wrong and then then they got it right and then they got it wrong and then they got it right and then they got it wrong and then you ought to have great joy that God gives you the permission, say permission, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling unto him. Working it out, the journey, right? It's like I got to get it all right overnight. No, you don't. Just keep walking towards God, and he'll keep working on you. Amen? Number three, third characteristic, the joy of Jesus is contagious. It's contagious. Contagious of an emotion, feeling, or attitude likely to spread to and affect others. Affect others. Psalm 101 through 2, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Some of the earth all the earth. That sounds pretty contagious to me. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Did we do that today? Could you feel the joy in the room just begin to grow and swell? When I heard you, when I could hear all the saints' voices ringing out, it just like, I'm around people that just love Jesus. And it just brings me joy. Did it bring you joy? Amen. Luke 15 and 7 says this, just so. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I was talking to Angie yesterday a little bit as I, as I talked over some of this. And I was talking to her and I said, man, think about that. I remember the day I got saved and I gave my life to Jesus. And I remember, you know, growing up through abuse you know, all that circumstance swelling around me of, you know, I, I don't trust people and, and, you know, I hope that I can do this better than what I grew up through and, and just all the anger. Come on, did anybody, have, you know, deal with anger over things that they had to live through growing up? I don't know anybody that's got a perfect story behind them. But I do know this, where Jesus comes into that, where you encounter Jesus, he begins to change your perspective. He begins to change your story and what happens is, is it becomes good tidings of great joy. It's when I tell my story of the abuse and growing up as a child, 
and how that produced in me a lack of trust. The moment that I placed my trust in Jesus Christ, what happened is, is all the distrust, all, all the betrayal, all the abandonment, all the rejection, all the, the physical and emotional and what we call in this day and age even more so is trauma and PTSD. And I had some knee-jerk reactions on certain behaviors. I'm like, well, I'm back being that child. As a matter of fact, I was 23, I'm 4, 25, somewhere in there. And we're at the mall. You remember that? Walking, because we moved back to Ohio and where I grew up. We're walking in the mall. All my kids, Wade was a little baby. And they're all with me. And we're walking down uh, one side of the mall. You know how it is. There's this side you're walking down. And then there's that side. And we're walking. And I see the stepfather who just brutalized me as a kid. And I see him. And what happened to me? I was like that little kid. I remember being gripped with fear. Now, I've been born again, all those things, and I've released it, but I see the person who did those things to me, and it was like, immediately, I'm like, oh, my God, that's him. She goes, that's who? I'm like, that's, the step, that's my stepfather. That's the guy who beat me and treated me the way he did. And she's like, oh. And I'm like, maybe we should go. And something inside of me, and I know what it was, right? The Holy Spirit inside of me rose up like, are, are you living in fear? Right? Let me say, are you still holding the fence and unforgiveness in your heart about that situation? Are you still in that prison or, or were you set free? Because my story was how God showed up in that and healed my heart. And then yet I see the person and it's like that wants to enter back in and I want to pick it all back up in a sense. And what I realized in that moment, I have to confront this. Now, I'm not saying everybody's got to do it the way I did it. And, 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 you know, when you begin to see good in bad situations, remember Joseph with his brothers and he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, meaning God's going to use it for good. You remember that? And he was in a position he could have killed all his brothers for the way they treated him as a child. And instead his response was, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The testimony I have now. And, and remember, he cried tears of joy in seeing his brothers. Yeah, he, that happened. But see, he had really forgiven it. And it redeemed his story. And what happened now is he's filled with joy to see his family. Whereas I'm sure he had some moments like, man, if I ever have a chance for what they did to me. I'm getting them. <laughs> Anybody ever thought that? Right? We'll just go ahead and throw it out here. I know you guys have heard that. Uh, you know, fairly newer. It's probably a decade old. You know, when you pray for people, I pray for you. I pray for you every day that your wheel flies off when you're driving 55 miles an hour down the road. But see, when Christ comes into our life, it restores a joy that is immovable by situations around us, by people around us, by things we've gone through or may still be going through. What it does is it begins to redeem. It rescues us and it pulls us up out of that miry clay. Sets our feet on a rock that does not move. And now we can declare good tidings of great joy. Why? Because God sent his son into the earth. Abracadabra, he declared and sent his son into this earth. Emmanuel, God with us. And he would take it all upon himself so we could live in the freedom for which Christ has set us free. And I remember walking up. And I said to Angie, the one thing that I could say about my stepfather is he taught me how to work. My brother and I both recognized that. 
Now, when we were kids, we referred to ourselves as the little slaves. <laughs> go work that field. Go do this. Go do that. And it's like all we did was work, 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 work. But we grew up and we have a work ethic because we worked. And so that's the one thing I could appreciate. You hearing me? All those other things I didn't appreciate that much. But I did appreciate that. So I march up to him with my family and I look at him and I say, hey, Robert. And he does. Now, how I had my knee-jerk reaction and, oh, my God, it's him. He all of a sudden went. Because <laughs> he knows what he did to me. And he has that kind of like, whoa, hey, Derek. And I'm like, hey, I saw you. I just want to come up and, and say thank you for teaching me how to work growing up. This is my wife, Angie. These are my three children, Danielle, Jer uh, Jeremiah. <laughs> Danielle, Vanessa, and Wade. And he just kind of looked and, and he goes, I'm sorry for the th way things was. That's the best he could do in repenting. Is, I'm sorry for the way things was. And I said, well, I appreciate you teaching me how to work. And I hope that you sort all those things out. But I've given my heart to the Lord and. I hold no, I just don't hold any offense. Now, I can't say that I've always been without offense. There are plenty of things the devil will get you to get offended about. Come on, somebody. And there's nothing that will steal your joy like offense. And now there's nothing that will change your story to tell the bad news. To live a life without good tidings more than being offended and carrying unforgiveness in your heart. This Christmas season, whatever that is for you. Whoever it's toward, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Parents are like, please do not do that, my children. <laughs> hey, Christmas movie, great Christmas movie, right? Plug that in and let Olaf just bring great joy to you. <laughs> I better get going here and finish up so we can eat. <clears throat> As I close... Let me provoke you. Let me provoke your cognitive thought, right? And hopefully encourage you to choose to remain in the joy of Jesus. Whether you recognize it or not, it is your choice. Jesus isn't withholding his good tidings from you. It was declared on that night, and it's been so ever since that night. And I would even submit to you it's been that way from the foundations of the earth. Before Adam even dropped the bomb on the rest of us that he sinned and subjected us to futility. Remember the second Adam. It had already been planned before the foundations of the earth. Before Adam that he would come and give his life. The second Adam would give his life. And here's the deal. So that you would have choice restored. He did, Adam didn't choose for you. He might have subjected you to that choice. But Christ came to free you from that choice and give you a choice again. You have free will. You have the free will to choose to walk in joy. You might have to work at it a little bit. You might have to speak to yourself. Come on, somebody say abracadabra. Right? Speak words that create joy in your life, not the opposite. So I want to I kind of read through what I put together as a conclusion for you. Have you ever seen a boat that is anchored? Give me an amen if you have. If you've ever seen a boat that was anchored, the water levels can rise, the waves can rock the boat, 
but it remains consistent where it is because it's anchored. The joy of Jesus does the same thing in our life. If we anchor ourselves to the shoreline of God's promise through Christ, we can remain in joy, immovable, because he doesn't move. Will the boat rock? Yes. Will the moods come and go? And husbands and wives said, yes, they will. No doubt that'll happen. But will you be left adrift in an ocean of despair? No. No, you won't. For we have found a joy which remains through the storm. And this joy is quick to become a contagious joy. Quick to become a contagious joy if you will hold on to it. See, Christians of the New Testament church were known for their joy. I don't know if you knew that. They were known for their joy. They gathered in large community like we are here today. They ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts is what the Bible says. They praised God and had favor with all the people. That's out of Acts 2. The early Christians were joyful Christians. In fact, you might argue that there is no other type. Think about that. Man, there's times I look in the mirror like, what are you doing? Carrying all this stuff. Does anybody ever just like had a bad day and spew that on somebody else? Uh, we kind of refer to that. Angie and I talk about that as being slimed. Some of you might have been slimed from me from time to time where I'm frustrated and upset about something and I don't even know that I'm just blah, blah. Come on. We need to guard our words well and meditate on the word of God so that we speak words. And I love how Pastor Joseph brought a statement, him and Lindsay, into our, our team. And, and as a church, we're embracing that more and more and more. Leave people better than you found them. And it's not always easy. Husbands, it's not always easy to leave our wives better than we found them. Wives, it's not always easy to leave our husbands better than we found them. Kids, it's not always easy to leave your moms and dads where you found them. Better than you found them, sorry. Better than you found them. Yeah, leave them where you found them. Moms and dads, it's not always easy to leave your kids better than you found them. <laughs> but as a friend of mine once said, a ministry friend, he said, uh, Derek, always work harder at keeping the good news the good news. Keep the good tidings the good tidings. And you can't do that without the joy of the Lord in your life. Amen? The early Christians were joyful Christians. In fact, again, you might argue there's no other type. In the purest sense, the phrase joyful Christian is redundant. <clears throat> we shouldn't need an adjective, right, in front. We don't put the word hot in front of fire. And we might tell our kids it's hot. But do we know fire's hot? You know fire's hot, right? We don't put uh, dead in front of cadaver. You know with me? It's a dead cadaver, really. It's a cadaver, of course it's dead. We don't put the word wet in front of water. Hey, it's water, hey, hey that's water, it's wet. It's water, of course it's wet, right? We certainly you know, don't have to put the word handsome in front of Derek. <laughs> just, just messing around with you. <laughs> but, 
here's the thing, right? Ideally, we shouldn't have to put the word joyful in front of Christian. But we do. We do. We do because we tend to think of joy as contingent rather than confident. It's not contingent. It's the confident hope and expectation. Watch this. The joy of Jesus is not so. Peter said it in 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hmm. The joy of Jesus, right? It's not contingent upon what's going on around us. It's consistent with what Christ did for us. He is an anchor for our souls. Amen. And I'll read this final story just to let you reflect on it, uh, especially for families this Christmas season. This is a mother who came home to find her young daughter working, cooking in the kitchen. Come on, moms. Have you ever done that? I remember coming home one afternoon to discover that that the kitchen I had worked so hard to clean only a few hours before was now a terrible wreck. My young daughter had obviously been busy cooking and the ingredients were scattered along the dirty, with the dirty bowls, utensils all across the counters, on the floor, everywhere. I was not happy with the situation. Then as I looked a little more closely at the mess, I spied a tiny note on the table, clumsily written and smeared with chocolate fingerprints. The message was short. Sorry. I'm making something for you, Dad. And it was signed, your angel. In the, sorry. In the midst of that disarray, and despite my irritation, joy suddenly sprang up in my heart, sweet and pure. My attention had been redirected from the problem to the little girl I loved. As I encountered her, In that brief note, I delighted in her. With her simple goodness and focus, I could take pleasure in seeing her hand at work in a situation that seemed otherwise disastrous. Can I say that God the Father, when he sent his son, Emmanuel with us, when he sent his son, what a mess (laughs) there was in the kitchen. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured that because here's the thing. He was making, sorry, he was making something special for his dad. And the beauty of that is that's you and I. And he's still making us. There's still a mess. Come on. Somebody say, yeah, pastor, I'm still a mess. But Jesus is making something precious in you for his dad. And you know what that is? That's his father's house would be filled with his children. They would not be wayward, but they would have a genuine relationship with him because of what the son is doing in the kitchen. And it might look a little messy, but I want you to know it's the greatest masterpiece that could ever be made in the kitchen of life. Come on. Because God gave us the greatest gift through his son.
Can you say amen? Can I pray over us this morning? I'm going to ask you to stand so you can stretch your legs a little bit while I pray. I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. I want you to identify what's the mess that steals your joy. What's the mess that's going on in your life that's stealing your joy? And I want us to, as a body of believers, can we combine our faith today to believe that God is going to do something special in each of our brothers and sisters' lives in this congregation, those that aren't here today as well. And I would even invite into this prayer people that are out in our neighborhoods in our city that are broken and a mess, and they need to encounter the love of God's Son, Jesus Christ, the love of the Father through his Son, so that they too can have what we have. Can I get an amen on that? And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and lift your hands to heaven. And I want you to identify what that mess is. You know what it is. It's like, man, this is messy. And it steals my joy, Pastor. I want you to identify that. And now I'm going to pray over you. And as I do, I'm going to ask that, that at whatever point that is for you, just, God, I give this mess to you. So that what he can do is he can bring a restoration that will cause great joy to flood you right here on this day and that it would flow right on into your Christmas season and beyond into 2024. So, Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you that they're here today, God. Those that aren't, God, we lift them up as well, our city. God, I'm asking by your grace and your anointing that as they're coming to you today and they're, God, they're giving you that mess. That God, by your anointing, you'll break the yoke and you'll lift the heavy burden in their life. They would sense the presence of the Holy Spirit flood them. God, the fears and the anxieties would go. Lord, I pray that they would wake in their mornings, God, with praise on their lips as the psalmist did. As they reflect on the redemption they have through your son, Jesus Christ. And that God, while all the problems may not go away, the way they handle them will be different. Jesus, you said in this world that we'll have troubles, tribulation, but to be of good cheer, be of great joy because you have overcome the world. So, Father, I pray right now that you would anoint your people with the spirit of an overcomer and they would look their problems dead in the face and begin to abracadabra, begin to speak the word of God over this situation.